Well, good morning. I appreciate the uh, word from Gene today. I'm Todd, a sinner saved by grace through faith. And so I appreciate grace and uh, grace on display, as he said. It's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege to stand before you today, and uh, especially for the second week in a row. Thanks to uh, Pastor Darren for entrusting me that way and to stand before you. We're going to look into Psalm 100 today. So I invite you to turn your Bibles there if you brought a Bible with you, or you can just listen, Psalm 100. It's only five verses, and um, the kids may want to go to their special program at this time. I just got an alert. Thank you. That and the offering. I always forget those two things. So Gene took care of the offering, and thanks to a dad up there, saying the kids should be allowed to enjoy their special program. Good. And thanks to all who serve with children's ministry. It's so great. Psalm 100 may seem familiar to you. I'll just read it out and then we'll have a little prayer. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all gentle. A little prayer together. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, we could gather here this morning. Thank you for the love that you've shown toward us. You demonstrated that love, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Make a way for our sins to be covered. The perfect one, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us, to take what we deserve so that we could trust in his covering in the new life through his resurrection and be born again spiritually into your family and have life and purpose and come today with hearts open to receive from you. The scriptures now are alive and they have meaning in our life. They mean something to us and we invite you to communicate to us this morning. We pray to be open to your word and to your spirit to be moved in the direction that you would have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The message, how to know who you're really meant to be, that's one title. They like to do how-to because when people search on the internet, a lot of times they're looking for something and they'll start with how-to or where-to or when to, and so that helps people find the message that we're trying to put out there. Another would be kind of a statement, a doing statement. Give thanks to the one who made you, and that is for us, to give thanks to the one who made you. Two things there, thankfulness and a recognition of who our creator is, and that'll come out today. The answer is Jesus, and he is good. I want to start with uh, verse 4. Pastor Darren started at the end one time, so I figure it's four and five. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I want to begin with praise, begin with thankfulness to God, and bless his name, Jesus. Three things that I would start out with and say I'm thankful for. One, a grandbaby. Some of you heard that we uh, had a grandbaby this week. We didn't actually. I mean, our daughter did, Chad. That's how that works. But we went to see 
our daughter, son-in-law, and this precious little baby. And where's Andy? Andy? Andy pointed out, put into words that, you know, you see babies, but when it's your own, something happens. Now, this wasn't our own, our grandbaby, but he fell in love with his uh, little nephew. So did our son, who's off with the army. He was telling all of his squad mates, hey, I'm an uncle. And, uh, of course, the new parents. And Susan is up there. We may have lost her. She might be up there with uh, the grandbaby from this point on. But we're very thankful, very thankful for that. Second thing, speaking to Susan, is the journey with cancer this year. Never would have said that that's something to be thankful for, but it's just been an incredible year. Um, To have walked with people through cancer of various kinds, to even be with a, a friend of mine who lost his spouse, and to stay close with him through that process and in the years afterward, um, it's different when it hits you. And it just feels different. You know, the trust in the Lord is the same, but it's different because it's you. And so we can truly say it's been a good year. So I want to say I'm thankful for that and God giving us uh, that experience is good because I would value more time with Susan, and that's wonderful. And then third, I would be thankful to God for great Christian fellowship for this church. As soon as we arrived, we had been two days after arriving in South Carolina, Susan felt a lump and we discovered a very aggressive thing that was happening that wasn't there the day before. And when we came to this church, we were immediately enfolded and surrounded and loved. And I remember somebody saying, we're not going to let you walk through this alone. We know the Lord is with us and he gives a community of people to walk with us. And that is such a valuable thing of grace and love. And so I would share a scripture that goes along with that because there is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Because there are people in this fellowship who have walked this journey or a journey very similar. And recently we found out about a friend who is walking this journey began this week. And in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I'm sure that the women that surrounded Susan over by that wall as we were getting ready to leave after that first Sunday, they were passing on that comfort and that reliance on the Lord that they themselves had found through their own journey. So I just want to give thanks to God and and, uh, mention those things. Jesus is with us always. God's promises are true. His spirit dwells within. It's real. And this is the message of hope that we have. So no matter what's going on in your life, people that are watching online now, live, or in the future, God knows, and he cares, and he'll walk with you if you let him. So my simple message always, Jesus, and invite him into your life. That truly is the answer. Let him walk with you. There's nothing else that the world can offer that's as good as that. There's nothing else that anybody can offer except what Jesus does. Now today we're looking at Psalm 100. The Psalms give us voice. They give us words of emotion. They help us to express things that are inside. And so we see a variety of Psalms. And I think next week, uh, Pastor Ken's going to preach from the Psalms too. And 
we find value in that they express something we're feeling or have thought about or wonder. And so there's quite a variety there. And certain Psalms, when you read through them, you'll, you'll, you'll gravitate toward one and say, wow, that really is meaningful to me. I can make that a prayer. I can make that a song. I can make that something that I think about the rest of today or for this season of my life. And so the Psalms are that way. They're songs. And so Psalm 100 begins, we're going to go verse by verse through it, shout for joy. And it's okay to make loud noises. It's okay to cry out or, or even yell at God. Has anybody ever done that or known of anybody that did that? Did they get struck down by lightning? Not usually. No, God's big enough to handle our questions, our crying out. I'm going to step on one of these things, so I'm just kicking them over there. He's able to handle it. I remember learning that as an early question, as an early Christian. He can handle our questions. He can, he can handle us even shaking our fist out in the middle of a field and crying out to him. That's okay. He made us, and he'll listen. But as we know him, that shaking of our fist or crying out why or how could this turns into praise and joy, and look at this world that you have made, and so glad that you're with me as I go through whatever it is that you're going through. Shout for joy. Making a joyful shout to the Lord is the beginning of this psalm, all you lands. Now, what, what is a land or a people? We can be sensitive to that because of our geopolitical world, and the world seems to be kind of small. We can get our arms wrapped around it. We can count how many people identify them as a as a sovereign nation and those things. But what does the Bible say? In Genesis 10, verses 51, this might be what you call a table of nations. It describes the, the beginnings of the population of the earth. And in Genesis 10, verses 5 and 31, it says it again, that there's location, language, and families. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. So you find a physical location where people are. You find languages that they speak. I've been to India, and I can't believe the number of languages and dialects that are there. I mean, hundreds, even, even more than hundreds. Different languages that people use to communicate with one another, and families. Families. God made the family. God made marriage, and it's honorable amongst all people. He, he made it so that you could have children and families and then be in community together, united to form a nation. It's really as simple as that. We can't all be in one place at one time. So people living in a certain location, having a language to communicate to one another, congregated together as families in, uh, in some uniting way makes a, na a nation. And God says, shout for joy, all you lands, all you nations, in your languages, in your ways, in your customs, in your, in your manner of do, doing things, call out to the Lord and sing praise and joy to him. There's only one race. Acts 17 tells us that from one, God made all the peoples of the earth. And that's an important one to know in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, because there's a lot of talk about race. And there's a lot of uh, division that people use to, to try and create power for themselves. So we have to be wise. Because when you give blood, they don't ask you the color of your skin. Did you ever notice that? Or the language you speak, or any of your mannerisms. They just take blood. 
And in Acts 17, verse 26, it says, God has made from one, or some of your translation says from one blood, every nation of mankind to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. See, see here we see the purpose the purpose of our being in different parts of the world and our purpose of being on this planet, to seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Ultimately, the purpose is to seek God and to find him, no matter where we are. And God, in his uh, sovereignty and in his, mercy, in his mercy, he has made a way for people to seek him. All of creation cries out to him. And it says there in Acts that the intent and hope is, is that people will grope for him. And literally, you can get the idea of it being a dark room and you're trying to find an anchor point. So you're, you're groping. With your hand, you're trying to find something solid that gives you a reference point. And that's what we do metaphorically as people is we're trying to find, and it could be a point of need, in our life, and then that, that connects with another reference point, which is a point of truth, that God exists, that he cares, that he might connect with another point of, of, of uh, truth, which is he made a community of people that even though they look different and they act differently, sometimes they're united by this thing that's inside of them, and it makes them so they're like, family, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's the fellowship of believers, and so we, we People will grope around and feel for these reference points, and then they triangulate and find God, my pain, people, truth, hope that is in him. That is his purpose. So why do we go through suffering? Why do we go through our experiences? Why do we live where we live? And, and it's all part of God's good purposes. So I will ask this question. To what extent is your nation promoting this? You know, I... That's a question for anybody in any part of the world. To what extent is your nation promoting this seeking of God? Do you know you don't have to live in a nation with religious freedom in order to seek God? See, God even worked around that, the, the ways that sometimes we can restrict people, try to hide them from the truth and the reality of life. Still, we have a freedom of conscience. We, we see around us and we can seek and make our own thoughts about the one who made everything. I remember uh, being at a church camp. My early experience as a church camp, maybe I was 13 years old, if I remember right. I was just trying to find God. I was one of those people that was seeking, groping. I was crazy. Had two arms out, trying to find a reference point. So I ended up at the summer camp for a week. And while I was there, I found people who liked me. You know, I wasn't a real popular kid, but here I found I could get along with some people and it was fun. And then they would gather together in the mornings and read the Bible and sing songs. And they had all the songs in this book and everyone had a book they could open to the same page and sing the same song. I guess it was a hymn book. And we would meet in this little chapel maybe about nine o'clock in the morning after breakfast. And then in the evenings, we would do the same thing, have a time where we could just talk to God. And you could find your own place. And I can remember one of my earliest conscious memories of seeking after God is laying out in a field looking up at the stars. Where's Gene? So it matters. Looking up at the stars. 
and thinking God's out there. If he's out there, will he, will he make contact with me? Will he communicate with me? And he does. So no matter where anybody is, that answers the question. You know, is, has God made a way for them to come to know him? Yes. And you can find it in Romans chapter one as well. All that he has made speaks of him and people can find him. Now, verse 2 of Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. And that idea of serving is a service of ministry which was done by the people of Israel by their priesthood and by the people. So when we think of serve, it, it actually means worship, a service in worship, a ministry of worship. And this is a purpose for all people, is to be able to um, worship God. That is the greatest thing, that we could worship God for who he is and what he has done. And it says, come before his presence with singing. With uh, Moses in the first books of the Bible and God shaping his people into a nation, the nation of Israel, they couldn't come near the mountain where God was because there was lightning and thunder and, and people would die if they crossed this boundary. There was a definite separation Moses alone went up on the mountain and he was there like 40 days and nights, didn't eat or drink anything. And he came down and his face was glowing so much they couldn't handle it. They had to put a, they had to put a shade or a veil over his face. That's how much it affects you. He wanted to see God. And God, God in his grace said, you really couldn't handle it. But I'll come by and you can kind of see the effects of when I came by. And that same God revealed himself and came in the flesh. Jesus walked amongst the people. Some people have been watching that uh, series called The Chosen, which if you get the free app on your phone, you can watch all the episodes of, chapter, of uh, season one and season two right there on your phone. And it just helps us to see God who walked with us, Jesus, and the people he chose to follow him and brings out some of the teachings that we have recorded in the scriptures. It's a wonderful series. But the fact that God came into our existence separates Christianity really from every other religion because they're trying to appease a God that they don't know or reaching out to a God that they can't reach or trying to appeal to someone who really doesn't like them or care about them. But here we have a God who loves us so much that he himself came into our experience, walked where we have walked, was tempted in every way, and yet was without sin. And he made a way in his body being broken and his blood being shed, which we will remember with the Lord's Supper later this morning, for us to be reconciled to God. He breathed his last, he committed his spirit and, uh, and, and he expired. On the third day, rose again. The death couldn't hold him down. And, and so it, holds, it doesn't hold us either. And the one who will call on Jesus is not held down by sin and death any longer. And so God cares, and he came into our existence. And so this idea of coming before his presence, even in Hebrews chapter four, it talks about boldly coming before the throne of grace. How could that be? Especially when we think about holy God and we think about our own lives because we know where we have been. And for me, you know, that I, I think about that. I think about uh, there's no way I should be able to come before God. And there are other people who think that too. They think they've done things that are too bad. 
They think it's been too long and it's too late. But that's not true. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, is that wonderful passage. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an amazing privilege to think that we can come into the presence of God and live. God grants us this access of grace, Christ. And so now Psalm 100, verse 3, and I think this is the, uh, the real center, meaty part of this psalm. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There's a lot there. First of all, it says the Lord, he is God. That's doubled for emphasis. He himself is God. We would emphasize things by, in the, in the Bible we see holy, holy, holy. In triplet, we see something emphasized. Here when something's doubled, it emphasizes uh, he himself. We see that in John's uh, uh, writings also about uh, he himself is our propitiation. He's the one who takes the Here we see the Lord, he is God. Don't miss this point. He is God. And so the matter here is the one who made us, our creator, and the one who keeps us, our sustainer. The creator, the one who made us, is to understand that it wasn't we ourselves that made ourselves. Now, that may sound intuitive or obvious to you, but it's not. It's not what's being taught in our society. It's not what's being taught generally in the world. It's not what you find in science books. I don't know how they could be science books if they make up something else that's so fanciful to think that we could create ourselves or it could just happen by accident. But it's the truth. That's what's, that's what's being promoted that's out there. So this is no small point. And we find it in Psalm 100. He, the Lord, he is God. He made us and not we ourselves. Think about what it would take to make us. A friend of mine wrote a song. I'm probably not going to sing it for you. I'd like to. I was singing it this morning. Kevin Rogers, a friend of mine, uh, probably 20 plus years we were together, and he wrote this song. What does it take to make the sun come up? I don't know, but it seems hard. See how simple the words are. To warm this whole wide world with one big light hanging in the sky. The hand behind that must be great. What does it take to make a flower bloom? I don't know, but it seems hard. To make a seed grow up to a, from a pebble size to a gift of love, the hand behind that must be great. What does it take to make an eagle fly so high? I don't know, but it seems hard. To give him wings to ride on a gentle breeze that remains unseen, the hand behind that must be great.
What does it take to make a man breathe life? I don't know. Just as flesh and bone should support a soul that becomes its own, the hand behind that must be great. That's my God, and he is strong. That's my God, and he is holy. The things that we see point to the unseen. They're the evidence that there's a God above. And then he goes into a worship chorus, for he is good and he is great. He is worthy of all our praise. So let us come and let us serve the one whose love we do not deserve, for he is good and his hand indeed is great. Wouldn't it be good to teach kids that in our home, even in school, as a basis for life? It's what you need, so why spend 18 years hiding it from them? You know, why don't we just give it to them first? And so I'm thankful for children's ministry. Thankful in whatever way that you can sow the seeds of the gospel. Just read the Bible a little bit. Pray together. Talk about the one who made all things. Start there. Not we ourselves. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. And this is where the rub really is against our enlightened humanity. The enlightenment. We're still living in it. Actually, it predates the Renaissance and all that stuff. Genesis chapter 11. Now, in Genesis, what do we find? By chapter 11, we find the Tower of Babel. And what were they doing in early days? Chapter 10 talked about all the nations of people that populated the earth. And by chapter 11, just the first nine verses, they're thinking, we can do anything. Let's make a name for ourselves. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. All the people are in one place. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar, civil engineers, I like that. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Why would scattering scare them? Why does scattering scare us? We get used to what we're used to. And what we're not used to is scary to us. Just ask a kid. Just ask a young person. They were together. They had one language. They could do anything. They were living in one place. They had some sort of system of communicating and functioning together. What could be better than that? But they tried to make a name for themselves, that it was all about them. And that's really where we lose, we lose everything, is when we think that life is all about us. But verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, did he have to come down? He could see it from where he was. But that's the language here. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. Here we are, speaking of the Trinity of God. Let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the, hall, of the whole earth, and they 
ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. What if it was God's intention to fill the earth with people? Wouldn't it be good to scatter? But sometimes we need a nudge out of the nest. And whatever it takes, you know, still God can work his good purposes. In this case, you know, they're trying to make a name for themselves and see what else they can do. So I would just make this little statement. Human innovation always contains noble intent, but it also has the capacity for evil. So many things have been attempted and studied and researched and tried in order to fulfill a good purpose. But with that is also the ability to be used for ill. We find that. I, mean, I grew up gardening. Our family grew things. Uh, I was talking about some peppers this morning with some saw. Made me remember a time when I was young, probably about Andy's age, and I was out in the garden, which was you know, a few acres back from the house, and there was these green peppers. They're green. You can eat those, right, Wally, the green ones? Well, so my dad was coming from the house, and he saw me grab into these and pick it right off of there, and I got it just about to my mouth, and he says, no, don't, and I bit into it. And I thought, these are good, Dad. Five, six, seven seconds later, then it was a beeline. I could run fast back to the house, try and drink water. I guess you don't drink water. You're supposed to drink milk. It helps it, but... I remember that. You better be careful biting into those peppers. So I understand crops and grew a lot of things. And there's two different ways to do it. You can get seeds from a packet at the store. Or there are some people that have got a little container. And inside there are bags. And they've got seeds that they saved from last year. And they've got them sorted. And they're dried out. And they've been careful to keep them and uh, ready to plant the next year. And they typically refer to those as heirloom, I think, heirloom-type uh, growth. The heirloom is good because you can be self-sufficient, you can work with it, you're really in touch with how God designed things to be made and reproduced in the ground, and you get out there and you see God makes all things to grow with the water, with the sunshine. With the hybrid, there's good in it too. We lived in eastern Washington. There's a little bit of rain in the early summer, and then it's dry for about two months, and then you know the, the fall comes. And they developed a hybrid of wheat that with just a little bit of moisture content, it can germinate and take off and grow in that heat for two months and produce those amber waves of grain that we sing about in the song. So there's a place for hybridization, but it also creates a dependence, thinking that the seeds I get from the store from some of the big companies, which I'm not going to name. And we lose track of uh, who really gave us the seeds in the first place. So there's both sides of it. Think of planes. I mean, you can fly from here to the other side of the country in a few hours. I was amazed flying from Charleston to Seattle in like four and a half hours. Incredible. Step off and you're there. But planes also deliver bombs, as we know from history. Weather, you know, in the Midwest, they need rain to keep some of those crops going. And they learned that you can fly in one of the little planes and kind of seed the clouds and make some of that rain get heavy and come down to help uh, alleviate from a drought. We also know that there's the ability to steer hurricanes. And a lot of that happens, and we don't even know about it. But it's going on to try and influence the weather. But then we talk about things like climate shift, 
and climate change. And we wonder how much of that is caused by us tinkering with the weather. Speaking of that, what about ecosystems? You, know, you may have had uh, mosquitoes or other types of uh, pests that you want to get out of an area. So you can spray them with pesticides, but then that gets into your drinking water and it lands on people and animals, and that's not preferred. So then they came up with ideas of introducing bugs or beetles that'll eat these things. It happens when they start to overtake an area. Then you bring in another critter that goes after those bugs, but then that critter takes over the area. So that's where you find out about bugs, weeds, snakes, that uh, gets rid of all of the um, native things of an area and starts to dominate. So there's good intent, but then there's bad stuff that can happen when we're tinkering, tinkering with the ecosystems. And then finally with modern medicine, just, I mean, you can go on and on and on. You can spend 10 minutes, a half hour, two hours just looking into these things. But we're very thankful that there's been cancer research to, to starve cancer cells and uh, limit their spread, even cause them to get smaller so that you can remove them. We're grateful for that. There's also medical research to tinker with and develop new vectors that could maybe help the spread of good things or help the spread of bad things cause harm, which is what the medical community is not supposed to do. So there's both sides of this when, when we start thinking we're the creator. We can do things better. That's, that's the whole idea. Is, uh, and, and in this Psalm 100, it says, God made us, not we ourselves. So let's get that elementary principle and really think about it. And when we scatter power of Babel, it can be for God's purposes. In the New Testament, after Jesus gave his life, was buried and rose again, appeared to people for many days, for 40 days and nights, and then... And then uh, ascended to the Father's right hand and said that he would come again, the early disciples didn't know what to do. And then persecution came, and they were just right there in Jerusalem. But the last things that Jesus said was that he would be with them and to go and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations are living all over the world. So it took that persecution by Acts chapter 8, verse 1, to cause them to scatter. And it was all except the professionals, all except for the apostles. It was everybody else that scattered. And they took the good news with them every place that they went. And that's what we do today. So let's bring it back to where we are today. We're still in the middle of God's purposes. He's the maker, not we ourselves. And we are his people and the sheep of his passion. So let's talk about him as our sustainer. God made us, and he also keeps us. He keeps us. And let the Lord be your shepherd. When you think of shepherding in the Bible, what do you think of? There are two things you immediately should think of. One is Psalm 23. The other is John chapter 10. I remember a World War II veteran that told me Psalm 23 is all he ever needed. And this old guy, he didn't, he didn't go to church. I would run into him in town. He was one of those guys who was a mason for like 40 or 50 or 60 years. He was the oldest guy in our state at the time. But he would talk to me. He respected that I had been in the military. And we would talk, and he always wanted to talk about Psalm 23, and that was just fine. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You see how he sustains us, how God shepherds us, how being one of his sheep is a good thing. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. How can your soul be restored? Only through Jesus. Only through the one who has paid for your sins and can give you new life. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Does that mean he sets me on a good path for my glory? No, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory, that others may know of him too. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it good to know that God is with us? He will be with us in the good times and the bad. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I liked what Chris had to say a couple weeks ago. On Independence Day is our dependence on God. That's the strength. You know, young men, you're trying to find a young lady, they're going to they're gonna find it very attractive that you depend on God and that you are working on that and you're cultivating that in your life because then you can lead your home then you can contribute to society is when you learn to depend on God and vice versa. As the young ladies learn to depend on God, they inspire their future husbands. Depend on God. He is the one who makes a family and he's the one who makes community. He's the one who builds his church. He's the one who ordained marriage and gave it a place of honor amongst all people. And so finally, we're back around to the end of Psalm 100 thankfulness. I started out today naming three things that I was thankful for. I could have gone on and on and on, but really three was enough. Do you know if you do three every day in a year, how much will you get? There's some quick math. Oh, Steve, quick math. It's right. It's over a thousand. You're right. It's over a thousand in a year if you just write down three a day. Now, there's a lady up in Canada wrote a book about all this. It's good stuff. A thankful journal. But if you do it and then even go back and look at it, it can really cheer up a down day. Does anybody ever have a cloudy day, a down day, tough day? It's nice to be reminded of all the things that God has done. And as it ends Psalm 100, it says, the Lord is good. That's another fundamental thing. Not everybody believes that. The world around us is not teaching that God is good and that he cares. But you know from experience, and I know from experience, that God is good. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. There's no end to it. It keeps going and going and going. And who he saves, he keeps. As he gives me new life and creates new things in me and made me a new creation, he will see me through to the end. That's an important doctrinal thing for some people to hang on to and think about. He saves you and he keeps you. He's the creator, not you yourself. So now think about eternal salvation from our sins. You didn't save yourself, so you're not going to keep yourself either. He created you. He will sustain you. And his truth is to all generations. One way that we memorialize the hope that we have in Jesus and remember it is through the Lord's Supper. So the band can make their way up here, if I said that right. And while they're making their way, 
just want to encourage us to examine our lives. That's what we read in the New Testament letters. Is to examine our lives and think about the price that was paid to cover your sins, to cover my sins, to give you new life and hope, and to give me new life and hope. Jesus' body was broken physically. The wrath of humankind was taken out on him bodily when God came to earth at that time. He was just about dead by the time they put him on the cross. They hung him up there in the sunlight. They would have broken his legs to make sure he was dead before sundown so that they could get on with their religious practices. But when they went to break his legs, as they did with the thieves on either side of him, they found that he was already dead. Some people wonder, did Jesus really die on the cross? Well, that's one of the evidences of it. He was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. Instead, they, they sent a spear up into his lungs and out came water and fluid that could only be there if the lungs were filled. If the lungs filled, you can't breathe. I'm not a doctor, but at least that much. He was dead. His blood was shed. Even one of the guards said, surely this was the Son of God. He gave his body and his blood as the price to cover over our sins because you were worth it. The things that he has for your life is worth it. The good things he has for my life and our kids and grandkids and our community and the people we work with and the people we live next to is worth it. And not only did he give his life, but he rose again alive that we might have that victory and we might have that new life. So we are encouraged to examine our lives, thank God for his salvation, and then come and take of the bread and the cup. We're not to examine our lives and then feel like we disqualify ourselves. We're to examine our lives and then come. Share in the Lord's Supper with us. If you've called on the name of Jesus, share in this fellowship of the body and the blood of the bread and the cup. And if you've never called on the name of Jesus, do it now. God is obviously moving your heart. You can feel it. You can tell that he's getting your attention. Some of the things that were this morning resonated with you, and you're right there. All you need to do is say, I, I acknowledge that. I have sinned. I believe that Jesus died and rose again to cover my sins, and I call on his name, and he will do it. Let now be that beginning point. And as we continue to walk with the Lord, this is a very special and meaningful time as we share in this fellowship. So let's bow our heads for a moment and uh, just want to lead us in a prayer and then continue to prepare our hearts and then come and take of the bread and the cup. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time this morning that we could gather, that we can be encouraged in you that we can enter into gates, into your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. God is who is holy has made a way for us to come into fellowship, to come into your presence, to be accepted, to be made holy, to allow you to work in our lives, to accomplish your good purposes, not just for us, but for people around us, the people we work with, the, our extended family, anybody that we come across, wherever you scatter us, it's for your good purposes. I know today you had us assemble here and even online, people watching, it's for a reason. And I pray that each one of us will do something about it. Respond to you. Say, God, I acknowledge my sin. I believe that Jesus gave his life to cover my sin. 
and I call on his name to forgive me. And just as he rose from the dead, I am grateful for a new life. And Lord, we thank you that you continue to work in our lives and you will continue to work in our lives until the day that we go home to be with you. So I ask your continued blessing even now as we share in the fellowship of the Lord's table. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.